Well, tonight I just wanted to uh, address the subject of Bible reading. And the reason is, is, is I've, uh, you know, being a pastor almost 20 years now, one of the things I've noticed is that uh, you know, most Christians, after they've known Christ for a while, they are, you know, read their Bible and try and be consistent at it and are blessed by it. But a lot of times I've discovered that some people just, it's not working for them. I mean, they do it because it's kind of a duty and they do it because they have to. And, and, uh, and yet they're not really being blessed by their Bible reading. They kind of sit there. I notice like you're having a little small group and one guy says, oh man, I was reading in Hebrews, man, check out this passage. And they start talking about what their quiet time. And it was, oh man, I was so blessed by this. It just, it just struck me and they go on, you know, kind of like we just heard from all the musicians where those different texts kind of struck them and then they kind of prompted them to write those songs. And then there's all these people who are sitting at the table kind of looking like, that doesn't happen to me. And, and that concerns me. That concerns me because it should happen to you. That, you know, God's word is, is truth. You know, uh, Psalm 119 says, the sum of your word is truth. And your, your, your ordinances are altogether righteous. You know, Jeremiah says, your word is a hammer that shatters rock and a fire that consumes. And Isaiah 40, verse eight, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. There's so many good texts about God's word and what a blessing it is. And yet sometimes I find in the church that that there are people who just it's not working for them. You know, it's kind of like trying to get a drink out of a piece of damp wood. You know, they're, they're chewing on it. Uh, uh, and maybe they're getting a little moisture, but not much. And then they talk to people who just, it seems that those other people are just guzzling down the word and they can't get a, you know, a, a drink, a small drink out of it. And uh, they're pretty frustrated. Because uh, they're not experiencing what they think um, other people are experiencing. And you know what? It's true. And even when they might, you know, get in the word out of just sheer duty, sometimes it's just like doing self-surgery with no anesthetic. It's convicting. They just see their sin. And so they... They quit reading. They can't be consistent. They try to do it again. They get bogged down in a book like Leviticus. They have no idea what it's talking about. And they're looking at it and they're reading along. And it says, you know, that you need to offer up the fat as a soothing aroma to the Lord. And they're thinking, I do not kill animals. I do not cut off the fat of the kidney. And I do not offer it up as a soothing aroma to the Lord. What in the world does this ancient book have to do with me? I sit in a cubicle and type on a computer. I don't even have an animal. And if I did, I wouldn't slit its throat and burn it on a fire. And so these are the kinds of things that people just, you know, they, they, they hear. And if that's you, 
I want to help you tonight. And maybe you get some benefit sometimes out of the word of God. I know as I look back in my life, what I've discovered is early on, I didn't know anything. It just felt like I was in a thick forest and I was just trying to find my way. And every once in a while I saw something cool, but most of the time I was lost and I just didn't understand what was going on. And we need to get to the place where Jeremiah was, where he says in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord of hosts that you need to get there. Don't be content until you get there. Don't be content until you come away from your Bible reading, just having your socks blessed off of you, just thinking, oh, that is so good. It's just, oh, that's yummy. Um, don't don't settle for anything less. And if you're you're out there and you're thinking, well, that I, you know, that that doesn't happen to me. It needs to happen. It should happen. It must happen. Because that's what the word of God does. When you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you're studying the word of God, there is an exchange there as the Holy Spirit opens the truth to you and you see things that just pertain to you in your life right then. Now, you've probably experienced this. If you've been a believer a while, all of a sudden you have some trial in your life. It seems like every verse you read, you find something about that trial. Right. It's all over there. You turn on the radio. It's like every sermon and every Bible study is all about your issue. And then later on, you have a different issue. You read the same passage and now it's speaking to that issue. And the Holy Spirit is just using the word of God to bless you, to help you grow. And so what I want to do tonight is I just wanted to just outline some points. I'm going to give you 10 points that will just be to help you get more out of your Bible reading. You know, we talk about having quiet times and spending time with the word. And you hear me, you know, up here preaching, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And some of you are going, I'm trying, but it's killing me. I don't I don't know what to do. It's 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 a big book and there's a lot of weird stuff in there and I'm not figuring it out. And so I want to help you figure it out so that you can be blessed because you need to get to the place where you're just blessed by the word. Now, how are we going to do this? The first thing is this. In order to have the Bible bless your socks off, to just really be mm, wonderful, you need to know Christ. If you don't know Christ... If you think you're a Christian and you're not, then the Bible's never going to be to you what it is to a Christian. Why is that? Because you don't have the Holy Spirit, because you're spiritually dead. Yes, you can learn the stories. You can become a Greek and Hebrew scholar. But because you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot understand, as 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, literally the Greek says, you do not have the dunamis, the dynamite, the power within you to know that is have an experiential relationship with the word of God. And so when you read it, it's just kind of old stories and data and whatever. So you need to ask yourself, do I know Christ? Do I understand who I am before God? Am I understand that I'm a sinner, that God is a holy God because he's a holy God and a just God. He needs to punish sin. And because I'm a sinner, I deserve to be punished. I have earned hell for myself a zillion times over. 
And yet I know also know that God is a loving God. He sent Christ to earth to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to give himself up as a sacrifice on the cross for the sins of men so that anybody who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He took our sins upon his body on the cross and he suffered the wrath of God in the place of sinners so that anyone who believes in him would never perish. Not only that, he would justify them, that is, declare them to be righteous, take away all of their sins and impute to them, give to them, reckon to their account his own perfect righteousness. And it all happens when you do 15 steps of good works, not, not even 10, not even five by believing, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe that he lived, died, and was resurrected to save sinners. And if you've never done that, if you've kind of been hanging on to certain sins and you're not willing to repent of them and believe on Christ, then you're never going to get out of the Word of God what you need to. You need to come to Christ and just totally give up all and say, Lord, I'm giving away all of my sins. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to live for the world. I'm not going to live for any of that. And I am going to... Believe that you died for me, that you rose again for my justification. I'm going to follow you, save me, and he will cause you to be born again. The Holy Spirit will enter you, and now you'll have the machinery within you to understand the word of God. Because before you know Christ, you're like an AM radio trying to dial in an FM signal. I mean, turn the knob all you want. You're never going to need an FM channel. As soon as you come to Christ... You're a new creature. Now you're FM. You can get it all. The whole spectrum. And so if you don't know Christ, you need to know Christ if you don't. Secondly, if you're going to have some thrilling times in the word, you need to have your sins confessed. You know, God wants to bless you and and God's never ignorant about your sins. He knows you're a sinner. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for you. The matter of uh, having forgiveness is not an issue. But whenever you turn to sin, you turn your back on God. And that is why God makes a provision. In the Old Testament, whenever you sinned, God said, if you want to keep tight with me, if you want to keep your relationship with me, what do you need to do? You offer up a sacrifice, right? Well, in the New Testament, you confess your sins. That's all God wants you to do. First John one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's like this. Think of God as this way. And every time you sin, you do this. And every time you confess, you do this. The key to having great times in the word is to make sure that when you come to the word, you're facing the right direction. You've got your sins confessed before God. You have admitted that you are a sinner. You confess and then say, Lord, show me great and wonderful things from your law and then get in. Third, you must believe the Bible is the very word of God without error and fallible and unlike any other book. If you come to the Bible thinking that it's a work of man, if you come to the Bible thinking that there are mistakes, that, oh, creation isn't true, if you come just basically doubting the veracity of Scripture, it's never going to bless your life because in your mind you're always going to be wondering if the part you're reading is the wrong part. 
if Jesus was a liar and the apostles were liar and the prophets were liars because they all said it was true and you're saying it's false. And so how can you follow a guy who's lying to you? And so you have to believe the Bible is true and come to it in faith, believing that this is the word of God. Fourth, if you're going to be blessed in your Bible reading, you must remember that the Bible is a theology book and not a history book. And this is sometimes a revelation to people. Uh, When you study the Bible, you have to realize the Bible contains lots of history, but the history is there to communicate to you the person of God. So the Bible says... You read these historical counts so that you can get to know me and my will and my plan for the future better, better. So it's a book, a theology book that is a book about God. I mean, when you when you realize that you have like the story of Ruth in the Bible, it's kind of, it's kind of a romance. I mean, the guys look at it and go, what is that doing in there? You know, it's like a chick book. You know, the poor widow with the bitter mother-in-law leaves Moab, comes slinking back to Israel. She's poor. She's gleaning in the field of this older rich guy. And, you know, and he starts scoping up on her and being nice to her. And, you know, the mother-in-law saying, well, do this, do this, you know, sell yourself to the guy. And he'll lay down at his feet when he wakes up, you know, voila. And then, you know, he's noble and he goes and makes sure that he can, you know, he's not the closest relative. And so he he ends up uh, being very noble and chivalrous and and redeems her and marries her. And you're thinking, what is that? You know, and if you're a guy and you're reading that and go, what about the Battle of Carchemish? You know, what about when Egypt and Babylon went out of the Carchemish and had like a change of world powers, this huge, huge battle that went on and the whole shift in world powers happened? How come the Bible only has two verses on that and the whole book on the romance? Well, that's because God, who wrote the book and inspired the book, wanted us to know that... The line of David went through Ruth because the very end of the book of Ruth, you have the genealogy, this missing link in the genealogy of Christ. And we wouldn't know that link unless that book was there. So that piece of history is included so we can know that Ruth and Boaz then give birth to Obed and Obed to Jesse and Jesse to David, the king of Israel. Ooh. And if you know about the battle of Carchemish, there's two pagan guys slinging it out and one guy wins. See, there's no, there's no theological import. So it doesn't show up. So the Bible is a selective history for the purpose of teaching us about God. Another thing you need to realize that when you're reading the Bible is not only that it's a theology book and not a history book, so you can expect to have a very broken history of the world, but just the key pieces, is that you must come to the Bible remembering that God gave us His Word so we could be saved and so we could grow in godliness. This book is the key to your salvation, and this book is the key to your spiritual growth. Do you want to grow in the Lord? 
You want to be more like Christ? You want to be saved? You get in the book. So many people have been slain by Gideon Bibles. They just have a Bible. No one's in the room. They get a piece of Bible. People have been slain by a page from the Bible, a verse from the Bible. When God's spirit is ready to move, you can just have a person who's who's just totally unexpecting. And all of a sudden they read this verse and the spirit of God comes upon them and just breaks them, crushes them unto repentance and faith. It's powerful. Oh, I've seen it happen. It's so great. It's it's great. And it always surprises me. And then I get mad that it surprises me because I know it's true. But, you know, after sometimes you share Christ with so many people, you know, in your office and no, here they are. I don't know who this person is. Tell me about this. And I share the gospel with them and then they kind of have the blank deer in the headlights look and then they leave. And then all of a sudden somebody just just like, you know, somebody just hit him with a ton of bricks. And they're breaking down. So I give my life to Christ. It's like, yeah. And, you know, that's how it works. In First Peter one twenty three, it says, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. Paul says in Romans 10.17, So faith comes from hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. One of the ways you just lead somebody to the Lord is say, Hey, let's get together for a Bible study and read the book. I mean, you don't even need to go through a huge program. You just get somebody reading the Bible consistently for a while. They're in serious danger of being saved. And not only that, not only is it the means to save you, Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Once you believe, the word of God is like spiritual vitamins and nutrition to help you grow in the Lord. So if you aren't in the word, you are starving yourself spiritually. You'll get spiritual anorexia. Speaking to Timothy, Paul says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You get into the book. It's going to equip you for every good work. Anything that glorifies God, this book is the key to equipping you. That is kind of cool. And so get in the book because it not only will save a person, it also helps them grow in godliness. Six, you must keep in mind that God gave us the Bible to reveal truth to us, not hide it. I say that because a lot of times, you know, when you get into a passage and, you know, and there was a beast with, you know, seven heads and ten horns and you start going, whoa. And there was water flowing out of the south of the temple. And then it turned towards the east and it got bigger up to his ankles and then it flew down and it got up to his knees and then it became a raging river, which no one could ford. And it emptied into the sea and the waters became fresh and it began. And you're just like. What is that? What is that? Okay. There's no doubt there's passages in the Bible that were given that are hard to understand. And Peter even says that about Paul. You know, our brother Paul, in which some things he wrote are hard to understand. Peter's going, I don't even know what he meant. I'm the Pope. No. Um, Yeah, you know, they just didn't know. 
It's a hard to understand things. But you know what? Um, some things are hard, but they're worth digging into. God wants you to dig into them. I mean, what does Proverbs chapter 2 say? Let me just remind you. Well, I think a lot of people just want to, you know, kind of come to the Bible and just have it just bless them, like, you know, run by. It's like the person who wants to open a diamond mine and he hopes to just like get a piece of desert ground and go out there and find them laying on the dirt. Well, if they were, then they wouldn't be worth anything, right? You want you want diamonds? You dig down about a mile or so into the ground. It's a huge process. So you can get the gems. And this is what Solomon says. My son, if you will receive my words, if you treasure my commandments within you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart to understanding, if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice to understanding, if you seek for her as silver and search for his hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. You see that? None of this picking up gems on the surface. You get the shovel, you start digging, and the harder you dig, the better the gems you find. So sometimes, yeah, you go to a passage and you say, I have no idea what that means. You know what that? That happens to me frequently. There are people who come up to me and go, what is this? It's like, I don't know. But then you get the shovel and you start digging until you figure it out. Or you go to somebody else who's dug for a long time and you steal their gems. It's what commentaries are. It's part of the digging process. You just got to be a thief who steals things from other thieves. Not only that, seven, you must understand the context of what you're reading. And this is important. The Bible has a lot of context. Like if I wrote you a letter and I wrote you this letter and I said, okay, here's a letter. Here's a 10 page letter. Would you just go to page six, read a verse, a sentence out of it and go, oh, I know what he's saying. It's like, No. Like, I have no idea what that means. Why? Because it's divorced from its what? Its context. No, you would start from the beginning and read. And as you got to that spot, you would understand. And as you moved on, you probably understand it better in light of its context. And so when you come to the Bible, don't do. I mean, it's OK if you're like in Proverbs, because it's kind of a bunch of little pithy sayings that are kind of, you know, individual. But, you know, don't be, you know, throwing out some, you know, and they came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. What's that mean? It's right there in the Bible. You see, some people like to just kind of get this like mystical approach to studying the Bible where they're just like, okay, all right, Lord. Okay. Bless me. <laughs> then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground. And she took up her son and went out. Oh. Lord, I think you probably want me to dedicate my child in the family fellowship service. Um, you know, I don't know. What does that mean? You see, it means nothing. A, a verse divorced from its context means nothing. And so what you need to do is understand a little bit about the history of the book, understand a little bit about maybe some cultural things. If it talks about weddings or funerals or anything like that in the passage, you'll understand a little bit about that. Um, you kind of start, maybe read a chapter two before, get a little context, chapter two af after. Then you look at the near context, especially to find out. And you say, well, where do I get all this stuff? Well, here's an easy place to get it. You buy a study Bible. Have you ever wondered at the beginning of every chapter in a study Bible, they tell you all about 
historical background, context, theme. Do you know why they do that? Is so you can understand the passage easier. And, uh, you know, when you go to seminary, they make you memorize all that stuff. Um, so you don't need to study Bible. But, you know, if you haven't memorized that stuff, then you need to study Bible. You need to get one. Um, there's a lot of good ones out there. You know, the, the best Bibles for studying because they're the most accurate are the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, the New King James Version are probably the three best ones. There is... Uh, the MacArthur Study Bible, which is excellent. The NASB or ESV Study Bibles, which are very good. The Ryrie Study Bible, which is good. It has all this information I'm telling you. You just go to the beginning and it just tells you all of the setting, the historical setting, whatever. And then when you go through the passage, there'll be little asterisks on key verses. And when you don't understand something, you look in the footnote and it tells you what the culture is, the custom is, whatever. That helps you understand the book because then you're understanding what the original audience understood, which is the meaning that that author had in mind. And so make sure that you understand the context a little bit. Eight, you must understand the theme and purpose of the book. And this relates to the context and that when you 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 understand the theme, it helps you understand a book. Like, let's say you didn't know anything about the book of first Peter. And I said, read first Peter. And I said, what did you see there? And you say, well, I saw this and I saw that and I saw this. Now, if I were to tell you the theme of first Peter is suffering. Now, I want you to read the book and tell me what you see. What are you going to see? You're going to see all the texts that have what? Suffering in them. And you're going to go, man, they're everywhere. Bingo. See, just knowing the theme helps you extract more goodies out of the book. Nine, in order to have a thrilling time in the word, you must understand how to find application from the text you are reading. And uh, if you want more on this, you can go to the How to Study the Bible class online. I go into this in great detail. I'm just going to rush through it. Let's say you go to it. Some class, you know, texts are easy. Some of them, like in the New Testament epistles, is pretty easy. You know, don't get drunk. Okay, uh, not get drunk. That's easy. Um, but sometimes when you go to an Old Testament passage and you're reading about Philistines and, you know, chopping off giants' heads and you're thinking, so what is that? Should I get a sword? Um, maybe a slingshot, um, you know, what is the application here? Should I go into the military? Uh, should I put my life at risk and trust God a bungee jumping? I mean, what is the application? Well, here are some things you can ask yourself to find each book has a theme. And yet the grand theme of the whole Bible is what? God. It is the word of God. Yes. So this is some of the things you can do. There's more, but here's the one. Ask yourself this. Look at any passage and ask yourself, what does this text tell me about the character and nature of God? And almost in every instance, you'll go, oh, this uh, and this uh, and this. Ask yourself, what does this text tell me about how God responds to man? A lot of times you go, oh, look how gracious he is. Oh, look how just just he is and wrathful. You know, look at this. Look how patient he is or whatever. Ask yourself, what does this text tell me about mankind in general? Ask yourself, what theme or doctrine does this text teach, which is taught in many places in Scripture? 
Those are some of the questions you can ask of a text and they'll always bring you application. You're in Leviticus. Fat of the kidneys offered up as a soothing aroma to the Lord. You say, what is this? What does this tell me about God? Well, God is pretty precise in the way he expects us to worship him. God is... um, requires blood sacrifice to approach him. Um, God is obviously just because he's requiring the life of an innocent animal in substitution for a sinner. God must love sinners because obviously he's made a way for sinners to approach him through the blood sacrifice. Do you see that little thinking? A little question asking. It's like, ooh, 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 ooh. And then pretty soon, you can't get through your lesson because there's just too much there. And finally, do this. Be consistent and faithful in your Bible reading. One of the, th- one of the disciplines you need to develop in your life is consistent Bible reading. And uh, my recommendation is start small and get consistent 10 or 15 minutes. Once you become solid and consistent in your 10 or 15 minutes a day, then stretch it out a little bit. But first, be consistent. It's kind of like this. You know, like, let's say, you know, um, well, we'll just use an example here. Since Lou has to work today, we'll pick on him. Now, Lou likes to ride his bike up on the hill. You know, he's a mountain biker, so he goes up on the hill and rides on the ridge up there. And so... I said, well, so how do you get up there? He goes, well, you just go up Walnut Street and then there's a little nature center there. And then you follow the trail up and you get to the ridge and you ride around up there. And it's a great place to pray and you can see the city. And I thought, that sounds cool. Okay. So then I tried to drive up the street just to get to the nature center. And I almost like coughed up a lung. (laughs) And, um, And so it took me about... I'd say six weeks to get to the place where I could get to the nature center without feeling I needed an oxygen bottle. And then I thought I'm going to cheat. This day, instead of riding up to the nature center to get on the trail, I'm just going to drive my truck up there, pull my bike out so I'm fresh at the beginning of the trail, and then I'm going to drive up the top of the hill. And I made it about three turns and it felt like my legs were going to explode and my heart was going to jump out of its chest. And I thought, I'm too wimpy. So I went back down and got in my truck and drove home. (laughs) Now, I kept riding and I was getting to the place where I could almost assault the trail and get up to the the more level part. And then I crashed and wrecked my shoulder. So I haven't been able to ride my bike since. But the point is this. If you're going to get to the top of the hill, you have to what? Keep at it. Consistent. Keep at it. Keep at it. Keep at it. And you'll get more and more and more out of your Bible reading. The more faithful you are, the harder you dig, the more you'll get out of it.